we as adults fear what's unfamiliar to us. So we value what's familiar and we're afraid of what's unfamiliar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's got such a powerful grip on us. And it's frequently called, you know, the fear of the unknown, but it's deeper than that. It, it's, it's the fear of the unfamiliar. Mm. But if you break that down, the root word of familiar is family. Introducing the Poet Life Podcast. Go check it out today on your favorite platforms, including iTunes, Apple Music, and the website, thepoetlife.com. Find a way. Find a way. Hey, hey, hey. I am Christoph Jenkins of the Poet Life and the Poet Life Podcast. And today, really excited. Really excited because... I get to reconnect with a friend, a colleague, uh, even a business partner, uh, because we worked on an amazing project. How long ago was that? Uh, a year and a half or so? Yeah, it was about a year and a half ago. Yeah, uh, a major project, though, uh, working with uh, Lisa, Nich Lisa Nichols on the spoken word movie. What's the name of that movie again? Let's Grow. Let's grow man and mm. and we touched on a few things you know what since i since i already jumped in first of all sean smith coach sean smith all right let's go there because i said coach and i'm sure maybe they might be asking okay so what is he coach is he a basketball <laughs> coach or is he you know <laughs> tell me about yourself man what, what do you coach yeah, there's all kinds of different variations of of coach, and I think the word has gotten kind of watered down to some degree. Uh, I've been in the life coaching realm for about 17 years, and that has years. Yeah, way. I mean, this is before you know internet marketing really really took hold. This is before I remember somebody going, "Hey, there's this thing called Facebook, and we think it might be good for business, so uh, you might want to create an account." So, you know, I was in the coaching and speaking world, personal development, um, way, way back in the day. And mm. my primary focus has always been on helping people release whatever's holding them back. You know, the limiting beliefs that we have, any kind of conflicts that we have inside, the values, the identities, all that inner work has been so transformational for me. And that's where I've focused a lot and primarily my clientele over the last five years or so have been entrepreneurs, people that, mm. you know, want to want to make a, a, a go at this thing at home. And because we know that, uh, you know, you know this and, and I learned this, that when we don't have a job or we don't have external accountability and we need to be the motivation, mm -hmm. you know, we need to have that internal drive because mm -hmm. we don't have any external accountability, which is where pretty much all of us start out when we want to do something with yep. our, our, our work, our message. Um, we need to self-motivate and we need to self-navigate. And that's been the primary focus that I've been uh, really passionate about for years and years and years. Mm. Life coaching is so interesting to me you know uh and and i also believe that a coach should have a coach you know what i'm 100%. saying like 
Yeah. It's like you're you're making sure that your client um, has someone to hold them accountable. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it's like, OK, all right, if that's the case, then who holds you? Who holds you accountable? Who's your coach? Yeah, right over here, right to my left is is a flip chart. I just taught this concept mm -hmm. the other day. And what I taught is that you need to be a product of the product. Mm -hmm. Meaning if you are selling life coaching, you better have been a product of life coaching. But you also need to be a purchaser of the product. Right. Because if you're not a purchaser of the product from one angle, you're fraudulent you know, in, in my opinion, like you're selling yeah. something you haven't bought, but energetically, it's really difficult to navigate the sales process when you haven't exactly. been a buyer. Exactly. And people can feel that that's out of alignment. You know, they can feel mm -hmm. that the integrity is not really there and you can't advocate as powerfully as you can when you say, listen, this is the work that changed my life. And this is what I want to invite you into. And I think mm -hmm. there's way too many life coaches. I think the, the, the business itself has gotten watered down to the point where people are just trying to get successful by making money in the shortest way possible. And, and in those shortcuts, there's a lot of value that's being, you know, uh, de detoured around, right. And mm -hmm. you just can't do it. And, and people are hurting themselves by not going through the process that's required. Right. Because I'm also learning as as myself as a poetry business coach yep um, i'm sure a lot of people have not heard that before um it's distinct learned, man. i love it yeah man i'm you know i i've learned to stay in my lane mm. and and i don't want to use dominate but specialize in my lane there you go you know because I'm in it for a reason. I'm driving in this lane for a reason and I'm learning how to drive better every day. And if you can't teach what you know, you don't really know it. Bingo. I teach my daughters that all the time, you know? Mm -hmm. So especially my oldest daughter, I have three daughters, um, seven and under. And so I teach her you know, just because you can answer the question, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know the answer. <laughs> mm. She's like, huh? Yeah, on the surface, that doesn't make sense. But there's right. a depth. There's a depth that you're speaking to. Yeah. And yeah. If you can't teach your little sisters what you know, if you can't teach a three and yeah. a half or five year old, and that's what they say. If you can't explain something to a five-year-old, right, you don't really know it. You don't really know it. You can't if you can't simplify it. If you're only speaking ten thousand feet above, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, yeah, because there are lay people that aren't in your industry, or or so. How do you liaise? How are you the liaison between? You know, I like like uh, when I was when I was working my nine to five, I was a business analyst. So I was a liaison. I, I liaise between the the stakeholders uh, um, who were the end users um, yep. and, and didn't know the the IT 
terminology and the language, uh, right? So I did. So I was the kind of the middleman, and yeah. I was able to translate what the engineers and the IT people were saying because they're like, "What? Tell me what he's saying. He's speaking another <laughs> language." So I was yeah. the translator. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so it's it's so important for you, the coach, also to keep learning. Yeah, what uh, I love this this topic uh, in in my language in my studies, what you're really speaking about is embodiment. You know, the the mastery level learning, right? Mm. What people and what, but we're not conditioned to learn like masters. We're conditioned to learn like students where somebody gives us information, we regurgitate it on the test and then we get mm -hmm. celebrated or we get judged, you know, with, with a grade. And so we think that learning is modular. We think that we just do a thing and then we, we check that box and then we've learned it. But that's such a surface level intellectual knowledge and knowledge doesn't equal understanding right. to, to your point. But if right. you really truly understand something, then you can talk about it with the technical experts and you can talk about it with the five-year-old because understanding is flexible. Understanding is able to pivot. And mm -hmm. in so many endeavors in life, business being one of them, especially in the coaching world, people are just trying to learn the rules, but rules yeah. are not flexible. You got to understand the laws. When you understand the laws of learning, or the laws of connection, or the laws of sales, the laws of marketing, messaging, the laws of parenting, right? What you do with your seven-year-old is going to be different than what you do with your five-year-old, than your three-and-a-half-year-old. Right. My kids are 20 and 16 now. I can't take the rules that once applied and apply them now, right? But that level of applicable flexibility is only available to somebody that really knows the craft and understands the craft. Mm. And most people just don't value that kind of learning. We don't value that kind of study. Yeah. And we suffer because of it. But you know, it is, it, it, it starts from home. Mm. So here in the, in the, in the Jenkins household, School is supplementary. Mm, that's powerful. It's it's the other way around for, yeah. for us, right? School school information is extra. Love that. So so my my daughters, they're this is my office slash studio slash humble about you know <laughs> uh um this is also classroom for them. Yeah. And, and, and that's the board and, and they call it daddy school. Oh, that's so cool. So so even with math, they're learning the tricks to math uh, to learn it faster and more effectively. Yeah. Um, right. And so so to where they won't need a calculator and there's mm. tricks to, to learn it. Uh, to where you can calculate in your head without using your fingers and, mm. you know, and, but also just life in general. Yeah. They know about just credit life mm. at three, five and seven. That's amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the, the stuff that we complain that the schools are not teaching. 
if you flip it and I, you know, yeah. our, our thing as parents, I don't have time. I got to work, you know, you better, you better figure something out, turn that TV off. And, and <laughs> be, because, because you, you just can't sit there. All right. For generations, we're going to get mad at the school system. It's just right. not going to change. Right. School system. Yeah, it all comes is- down to what, what we value, you know, what, what do you value? And then you make, you make time for what you value. That's, that's, that's what it is, man. And it's so key for my wife and I to make sure that they know what we want them to know, what they need to know and what we weren't taught when we were kids. Absolutely. And, and money is one of the biggest things. Mm. It is super huge, man. Like it, to a point where um why is money taboo mm. why why is it taboo right if you talked about it more if you talked about your salary and how you want to increase it somebody can help you absolutely but yep. somewhere you were taught that you don't talk about salary you don't talk about how much money is not in your account and then we become afraid of those things that are taboo because we don't know about how to talk about it. And I think it's it's doing a huge disservice individually, to your point, if mm-hmm. we never and I never talked about money. My parents weren't open with mm-hmm. it, uh, around it with me. And so I definitely had a negative and still to some degree had a negative mm-hmm. relationship with money. Mm-hmm. You know, my self-esteem has been wrapped up in money a lot of times so that if my bank account was high, I'm good as a person. And when it's low, I'm not. So my right. personal value, my self-worth mm-hmm. was a, a function of how much money I had in my bank account. And that led to all kinds of problems, you know, yeah. that has nothing to do with money. It leads to relationship problems and, you know, just, just my own personal connection with myself. But then yeah. you think about all these other topics that we're taught to stay away from. You know, taught to stay away from race, stay away from religion, stay away from mm. politics. And I think what we're seeing right now in society is a function or a result, rather, of what you're saying. Because mm. we were not taught how to talk about disagreements, this is what we have. We have mm. a world right now where people are afraid of conflict because we don't know how to keep our dignity intact or keep the other person's dignity intact or look for shared experiences. We just immediately attack differences. And I think a huge reason is because we weren't taught how to talk about tender topics, especially where we disagree. You know Mm -hmm. I mean? What would the world look like if we could actually discuss in decent ways disagreement? It would be yep. a fundamentally different society. Yeah, this happened last night. My seven-year-old, uh, before bed, she was laying there and said, uh, "You know, Daddy, my my friend. You know, we're we're Christians. You know, in the faith, the Christian faith, and and my friend said, you know, Jesus isn't real." I said, "Okay, cool. You know, and mm-hmm. and I said, and that's okay." Yeah. That's okay that she said that Jesus isn't real. And 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 she's entitled. Now, you know, when I'm talking to my kids, I forget that I have to then explain 
certain words, you know, right. uh, I had to bring it even further down, you know, um, um, but that draws out the conversation. Entitled means, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But basically, it is okay for her to believe what she believes. Right. And it is okay for you to believe what you believe. And so, so, so don't feel pressured to, to, to have to defend your belief. Bingo. And then she can keep the relationship intact. That, that, that's yeah. And adults haven't figured that out. Yeah. I think it comes down to security or at least a big part of it. Because when people are insecure, they don't like being questioned. Mm. And I think it actually, it, it comes back around to what we were just talking about. Because if they can't explain their beliefs, mm -hmm. then they don't want them to be questioned. Because then their ignorance might be exposed, right? So now questioning is a threat. And you think about that, how else are we supposed to learn about each other? You know, how can two people with different religious backgrounds learn about the other one without questioning? You right. know, this is this is what I believe. These are these are our rituals and this is mm -hmm. what we do. And what about you? You know, one of my best friends growing up believed in a God with eight arms. And yeah. I thought it was fascinating. And we were able to have these conversations based on love and connection and respect without threat. But yeah. what, 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 what I think it? is so. What is it? What's their religion? I don't even remember. Okay. I, I I don't know. I think but I know it what was, you're talking about. But it was right. curiosity rather right. than defense and attack. Yeah. And I love what you're doing because you're giving your daughters the personal mm -hmm. rootedness yeah. of that security yeah. so that other people's differences aren't a threat to who yeah. they are. Because yeah. when we feel threatened by other people, you know, the worst is going to come out of us quite often. And what you're speaking to is, is the root of it. And I, you know, another piece to this is this is creativity. You mm -hmm. know, creativity is curiosity. Creativity is creating what doesn't already exist. And there's th this energy mm -hmm. of creative flow that doesn't exist in the rigidity of the rules or the me versus you, the, you know, there's the, the, the black, black, white, not necessarily, you know, race, black, white, but either or dichotomy. Mm -hmm. Right. right. And right. I, I think it's a call for creativity that I know you believe in as well, that that's yeah. required to bridge some of these gaps, but also let people just live, you know? And I wanted to say back when you were uh, introducing and you mentioned the, the poet poetry business, those two words don't usually go together. And just that right there, putting poetry and business mm. is powerful. So I just want to celebrate you on that. Uh, I appreciate that, man. I like the trailblazing that you're doing. Listen, and I appreciate that, you know, because it's, it's so important for the poet to understand, even the, just the artist in general, it's just it's so important that you're for them to understand it's that you're more valuable as a business that offers poetry as a service mm. than simply being a poet. That's the reason profound. I say that now. Yeah. 
Now, for the poets that don't want to monetize your craft, that is a decision. I have have to give that disclaimer because what will happen is, or what happens is one poet that makes a decision to just do it for the love or do it for the inspiration will look down on or shame the poet that it wants to do it as a career or as a business. Mm. And it's again, it's okay. Yeah. That you want to just do it for love and and humanity. And it is okay for poet to perform and write for businesses and companies and get compensated for it. Mm-hmm. The difference is the poetry community and the poetry industry. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that's a huge so, distinction. Right? So, so you can be in the community as a professional poet. But if you're if you're going to choose to monetize your work, you have to step into the industry. Bingo. It's time to create an unforgettable experience at your next event with The Poet Life by booking a keynote poet. Poets excite your audience with motivating messages, charismatic delivery, colorful rhythm, powerful prose, and heart-filled stories with a style of spoken word that's tailored specifically to your event. The Poet Life has keynote poets in your city of all ages and backgrounds. Visit thepoetlife.com to learn more and book your poet today. You know, and they're they're so wildly different muscles. You know, the muscles to create are different than the muscles to monetize. It's Mm -hmm. just, it's the, the business strategy, the entrepreneurial strategy Mm -hmm. is a whole nother skill set and we can develop it internally, or maybe we get a partnership or something like that. But if you want to build a business, there are skills that you just simply cannot go without them being developed. You know, I find that in the coaching world a lot. We don't really identify as being creative. I'm trying to change that narrative because coaching and helping people change their life is a very creative process. Mm-hmm. And those the things that make somebody a really good coach are not the same muscles that will allow somebody to succeed. And right. I think it's exactly the same in what you're talking about. So even in those words, right, poetry and business, mm-hmm. those are, it's like left foot and right foot. You, you need them both. But yeah. they're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know, there's we've heard of uh, so, uh, software as a surf as a service. That's called SaaS. S A A S. That's that's big in IT. So over here, I never knew what that stood for. You, thank yes. you for that education. I've seen software it all over the place. As a service. That's SaaS. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Right. So just it, it, it is what it says. It's it's, a, yeah. you know, people create software to and to provide a service. Mm. So here it's pass poetry as a service. I love that. 
You see? So 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 just just in the 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 name of it all makes it sound more valuable. Yes. Because again, it, it is a, it's a decision that you have to make. Now, if you're going to stay on the side of not being compensated for your poetry, don't complain. Right. About someone saying, "Can you can perform?" And then you ask, "Is there a budget?" And then mm-hmm. they're like, "You know, no. Uh, there, there, there's a budget, but we're not paying for you know poets." Right. Uh, so, but just stay, or or like the kids say, keep that same energy. Yeah. When they're saying do it for exposure or just come and do it for free. And, right. So you, yep. you can't complain and get mad at the poet that wants to make a career out of it. Right. Cause that'll ruin your poetry. You know, it'll ruin your, your own creativity, holding on to that resentment and just yeah. that negative energy. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and I think a lot of it is, is, um, uh, based in tradition, you know, for Mm. so long, for too long, uh, you know, that's not what poetry is for. Yeah. What would you say that the traditional programming says, what is poetry for? What do you think we've been programmed with? We've been programmed to believe that one, there's no money in poetry. Sure. Which never, ever made sense to me. Yeah. Because poetry is is life. Right. Like it, it literally is the foundation of, of life. Poetry yeah. is in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Psalms is a book of poet, poet, poems, right? You know, like, like what art form can say that? Mm. Yeah, I'm sure they were dancing, you know, and singing. I'll take that back, you know, in, in Bible days and things of that nature. But like, but was, was rap in, in the, like, you know, so, right. so it's like, and 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 poetry is um, can be presented in like a million different ways. Right. Like I write haiku on a typewriter. You know, mm-hmm. it's a Japanese short form of poetry. Yeah. You know, then then there's limericks, and then there's there's so many ways to present poetry. Poetry in motion, like. Yeah, like a, a a doctor who is amazing with his hands and can save lives is is a poet in his right. Yeah, yeah I totally you'll, agree. You'll, you'll yeah. hear that comparison. It's like poetry. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it's really fascinating that there's so much value, and yet there is this programming specifically programming. around poetry and 
And I feel like specifically around poems. So what you're speaking to is that poets don't necessarily write poems and poems aren't necessarily what we think they are. They're, they're not just this container of words that, that rhyme, you know, in a yep. certain scheme. So the yeah. value of poetry shows up in so many different ways and it is life. You know, I think, I think creative poetry is the way to, to stay happy. It's the way to find happiness. Mm. It's the way to untie all the knots that, that our you know, rigid human yeah. programming has, has tied for us. I think it's the way to bridge gaps. I think it's the way yeah. to heal. It's the way to solve problems. So it's mm -hmm. it's really interesting that something so wildly valuable in a certain context has been programmed to to be uh, almost meaningless. You know, I, I hate to use that harsh of a word, but when when I asked you the question, mm -hmm. I think poetry to some degree has been programmed to be like, oh, that's cute. You know, that that's cute. Look at the look at the person making the words rhyme. That's cute. Yep but not something I'm going to pay for. Yeah. Right? Not something that we monetarily value mm -hmm. when in reality, mm -hmm. it's the thing we should be paying the most for. What? <laughs> Listen, I, I've posted, <clears throat> I've said this and posted this online to poets. Uh, so they understand. I said your, your poems are more than poems. Hmm. Then in the caption, I broke down, I mean, bulleted. Your poem is a workshop. Mm. Your poem is a dissertation. Your poem is a song. Your, your, your poem is motivation. Your, your poem is, is yeah. a recipe. It, you know, uh, it's a so Ted true. talk. Yep. It, you know, so, so, and w when I explain that, it opens the mind of a poet yeah. because I can't remember which episode, um, but I can't remember the poet's name right now, at least. Um, I forgot. Anyway, um, he and his poet partner, um, lived off one poem hmm. for 10 years. Really? Wow. For 10 years. And and most people are like, okay, so what do you mean? How? Yeah. They wrote a poem together. It's, it's a Christian poem. Um, I can't remember about what exactly. But what they did was be intentional. Yeah. And it, when when they first released it, uh, it got great attention, like most poets, you know, poems do, right? Um, yeah. Or even like a a, a singer's song does. Um, but what they did after they were performing, you know, different churches, um, and even reached world star hip hop dot com. Nice. Yeah. Um, they they became very intentional and said, okay, this poem is about this. Who advocates for this? Right. 
it's not just churches, but there are nonprofits mm. that speak to this subject matter. So let's do what professionals do and reach out, uh, do a search and get a list of these type of companies, organizations, institutions. Yeah. And be proactive. And say, hey, I know you all have a conference. I know you all have an event coming up. Um, I think this poem would be perfect for your event, project, commercial. And I was like, oh, because we're conditioned to... We're conditioned to 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 wait, yeah, to wait on someone to call us. So true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm waiting. You know, I put it on Instagram. You yeah, know, I got it in my bio. Those are some of the entrepreneurial skills that most people don't have. You know, it, it's it's about. I mean, you got to reach out and and especially nowadays, you know, the good thing about social media is that we can literally create our own channels. We can create create our own own opportunities, literally create our own opportunities. The flip side of that is there's a lot of people doing that. And so there's more competition now than -hmm. there was five years ago, 10 years ago. And unless we have those entrepreneurial muscles, then and, and so I, I make a distinction between the entrepreneurial game and the employee game. And it's not just whether you have a job or not. Employee mm-hmm. is, a, is a mindset. And the employee mindset is kind of what you alluded to. I'm going to do something. I'm going to put something out there. I'm going to make a post and then something's going to happen. Well, right. that's an employee mindset that's based on transaction. It's based on linear, right? The basis of the employee relationship in a, in a job setting is, I give you eight hours, you give me money Mm -hmm. or I Mm -hmm. complete this project and you give me something. There's a, there's a transaction. I give you, you give me. And that doesn't live in the entrepreneurial game, but when people think it does, then they just simply can't win. So part of my passion is to help creatives become entrepreneurial, right? I I was just telling the story today, actually about the, the golden Buddha in Thailand. Have you heard that story? I have not. So about 50 years ago or so, they were cleaning out this monastery. They were going to move the location of a monastery and they came across this giant Buddha that was made of clay and it had like all kinds of glass pieces in it. And it was just like this. I mean, it, it was a Buddha, but it looked like it was just formed out of trash almost. Right. And uh, when they went to move it, one of the one of the workers noticed that there was light coming from the inside which of course clay is not going to emanate light. And so he chipped away at it and found that it was gold. They ended up chipping the whole thing away. It was almost 10 feet of solid gold that was covered up in clay. Mm. So they're trying to figure out what happened. And several centuries ago, what they realized is that there was this, this, um, you know, society of monks and they heard that an army was going to come through. I think it was the Burmese army was going to come through and they knew they didn't have a chance. They knew they were all going to get slaughtered, but they didn't want them to take their golden Buddha. And so before the army 
came in, they covered the Buddha with all kinds of this clay and glass and all kinds of stuff to make the army not value it. So hopefully they could retain their, you know, protect their golden Buddha. And that's exactly what happened. The army came in, decimated everybody, killed everybody, but left this Buddha. They're not going to trek, you know, go, go, go through their travels with this big old Buddha. The, the thing I love about that story is when we go through life, you know, we put all of these layers of clay protection on us because we don't want to get hurt. You know, we don't want people to find out who we are. But what that does is it suppresses the golden Buddha inside that we all have. We all have this creative, poetic, sacred value inside. We just got a bunch of clay on top of it. So I think this process of what we're talking about is really about melting the clay so that the golden Buddha can shine. Mm. But we're not programmed as the golden Buddha. We are programmed primarily as the layers of clay. And that's where the employee mindset lives. So as you've been talking about, you know, the, the poetry and poets monetizing First of all, we got to unleash that golden Buddha, but then the entrepreneurial Buddha operates differently and has a different value and has different places that will value it than mm -hmm. the clay employee Buddha does. And I think so many people have this internal conflict between their, their value inside, the poetic creativity inside, you know, that sacredness inside whether it comes out as a poem or it comes out as any other form of creativity. But once that is unlocked, once we even tap into that, we need to reprogram. We need to recondition because those layers of clay are meant for one thing, protection. Mm -hmm. Creativity is not meant to protect. Creativity is meant to expand, to, to, to love, to be flexible, to flow like it's an exact opposition of each other. So what I hear you doing, which I think is so beautiful, is unlocking these creative Buddhas, right? Like let, let's tap into the golden Buddha and unlock it so that it can heal, it can serve, it can create, you know, yeah. it can live, it, it can design. There's so much trapped potential inside there which is uh, why I love the poetry as a service. There's mm -hmm. so much trapped, valuable potential service inside there that the clay is suppressing. Yeah. So I don't know if yeah. that lands as, as, as hard no. as, you know, with you as it does with me, man. I think it's no, the journey heavy. that we're on. It's, it's, it's so heavy, man. Uh, I think the closest to God that you can ever get, uh, you know, beyond dying, um, is, is to become a creator. Yes, I agree. You know, like it's sacred. If you believe that God created you and everything around you. Then, then, and, and you're trying to be like God and, and Christian faith is to be Christ-like Mm -hmm. then 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 you you need to become a creator creator poet life university welcomes you to the world of creation thoughts expertise and professionalism by offering technical knowledge 
practical support, creative encouragement, and whatever it takes for you to create the poetry career that you've always desired, but never knew was possible. And the best part is we have professional poets from around the world as professors to teach you everything they've learned throughout their poetry careers. We are currently offering several eight-week live courses that will help you gain a deep understanding of poetry, become confident in your work as a poet and writer, learn how to start your own business with the help of an expert, enjoy the freedom that comes from being able to pursue what you love on your terms, are you ready to take your poetry to the next level? Learn with others by doing for the future from the comfort of your home. Get in touch with us at www.poetlifeuniversity.com and enroll today. Because if you're not, you're simply going to be a consumer. Mm. And, uh, and uh, simply just take in, take in. Yeah. That's what a consumer does. They consume. But what are you producing you have to become yes. a the other word is producer yes what are you producing yeah, that's a really powerful distinction there putting those two together as we consume all we're doing is is taking in taking and, in right and uh the this the cool thing i think that's that we need to understand is that creativity is already in us it's not something that we need to learn as much as it's something we need to allow and reveal because we are creators you mm -hmm. know and that analogy we all have a golden buddha whether you believe it or not doesn't change the fact that it exists mm -hmm. so the choice it's like what you were saying a choice to monetize your poetry or not doesn't change the fact that it's monetizable, right? Mm. Your poetry is financially viable if you choose. Now you can choose not to, but it doesn't change the fact that it is viable. Every single one of us has a sacred creator inside of us. Just because we don't know it doesn't change that it's not there. And just because we haven't learned how to let it out or how, how to really be free inside of it, because that's a scary proposition for a lot of people right that when our buddha has lived for years or decades in the protection of the clay when we take that clay off it's actually extremely uncomfortable for most of us you know that mm. sun is really bright when you take the shade off and we have to remember that this is this is who we're meant to be this is what's meant to shine in order to counter the immediate discomfort of mm -hmm. letting our poetry out into the oxygen because mm -hmm. our conditioning will tell us that's not safe. People are not going to like it. I can't make money off of it. Nobody wants to hear about it. We have all these conditions that actually suppress our sacred creativity. And that journey is not an easy one. It's not the flip of a switch, mm -hmm. but it's possible. And I love how you put it. It's, it's a choice. Yeah. I think everybody can. Most people will choose not to. Yeah. Because it takes work. Bingo. The average person doesn't want to exert more work mm. after their nine to five work. Yep. You know, um, and to, to hear that there is no money in poetry, 
It makes no sense. Watch. Right. There's there's money in trash. Yeah. Just think about it. There's a there's a trash industry. Industry. Yeah. <laughs> there's an industry for trash. Right. <laughs> so you the whole time you were talking, I was just like, there's money in everything. You yeah. can tell me there's no money in something that can can help someone heal, uh, find 